Let's go, if you will, turn to your Bible to the book of Daniel, chapter number one. We've been dealing with the subject, are we the real deal? That's the question we've been asking, and I'm, I'm answering Daniel was. All right. Are we the real deal? Daniel was. What about you? Okay, we're going to look at Daniel, okay? Uh, this, this, this is one of my favorite books to delve into, uh, but I want to uh, just kind of talk to you for a little while this morning um, coming from this, this book. Uh, if we look at the first chapter, uh, we'll begin to read a few verses there. But the, the overwhelming theme of this book is this, and, and, and it should be in your, in your, in your sermon. Those God's people are called to reverence him. To reverence God means to, to revere him, to respect him, to know who he is and his attributes. To reverence him, to walk humbly before him. And maintain faith in him, knowing that he is sovereign and can bring restoration to them even after having been severely disciplined by him. Because we talked about the fact that that part of God, our journey with the Lord is that uh, is that God loves us so much. And he desires intimacy with us so much that he'll do whatever it takes to get us back into his presence. We see it time and time again in the Old Testament when the children of Israel uh, were, were, were taken into captivity because of their disobedience. And God would go through some extreme measures. Now, guys, we got to remember the overall context of the Bible. The Bible is God's love story toward man. And never forget the fact that God uh, knew his, his plan before the foundation of the world was to deliver mankind because he knew man would, would, uh, would transgress his will in the Garden of Eden. And God knew that he was going to send the Savior to come through that, that, that seed that came down through 42 generations to be born in the manger in Bethlehem. And God was going to do whatever it took to protect that seed. Because you, you got to understand something. A holy God who, who, who knows no sin, you can't go into his presence with sin. And had God left his chosen nation, the Jews, the Israelites, to themselves, he would have, by his nature, had to destroy them. And if he destroyed the family the ethnic group that he was bringing the Savior into the earth ram through, then now his plan blows up. And you know what? God ain't going to let his plan blow up for none of us. So he went to extreme measures to get the Jewish nation, Israel, back into concert and to fellowship with him because he was doing something through them. Are y'all with me today? So that's why you see in the Old Testament, you see extreme measures that God takes because God knew that out of all some of the, the Israelites did some, uh, the Jewish nation did some, some devilish stuff. They, they did some, they, they went away from their God. And so God did a whole lot, went to extreme measures to bring them back into his presence so that they would look up and repent and turn back toward him. So if we start reading at Daniel chapter one, verse number one, we'll begin our reading and I'll give you a little background so that we can kind of get ready to go on this journey here. Daniel was the real deal. The text says here in Daniel chapter number one, it says, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The text says the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. Who gave him victory? Who gave him victory? The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. Now, you, you that know biblical history understand that the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which consisted of ten tribes, and then the southern kingdom, which consisted of two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. All right? A, a lot of that was, came from dysfunctionality within the family. There was dysfunctionality in, in, in the nation of Israel uh, uh, for a, a long period of time. They had all kinds of family. How many of y'all got some family dysfunctionality? Remember we did that series on, on, on the dysfunctional family? And how we talk about the fact that it's critically important for us as born-again believers to recognize that everybody in our family is not pursuing God. 
And if we're really honest about that, sometimes we're not pursuing God, even though we may belong to him, we're not really pursuing him. And so that creates dysfunction. So they had a lot of dysfunctionality and they split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So the text says here the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Verse 3 and 4, right quick, let's read. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Verse 4 says this. Select only, watch this, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Can we read it again? He says, select, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. Now, guys... What we see happening right here is God's judgment coming upon Judah. For decades, the prophets had warned the rulers of Judah that their idolatry, their immorality, and their injustice toward the poor and the needy was going to lead to the nation's ruin. Prophetically, they've been told it time and time again. The prophets saw the day coming when God would bring the Babylonian army to destroy Jerusalem and the temple and take the people captive to Babylon. A century before the fall of Jerusalem, the prophet Isaiah had proclaimed this message. Let's go to Isaiah 13. Well, now we won't go there. In Isaiah 13, chapter the 21st chapter and the 39th chapter, he, he talked about that. He proclaimed the coming judgment of God upon Judah. And Micah, his contemporary, uh, shared that very same burden. As a matter of fact, let's go to, go to Micah chapter number four. I know that's a book that you don't normally go to, but I promise you it's in there. Micah chapter four, verse number 10. Micah chapter four, verse number 10. Glory to God. Micah chapter four, verse number 10. This text says this. Rife and grown like a woman in labor. How many of y'all... Ladies out there have had a baby and you groaned in your labor. I need some hands for some mamas out there. Labor is not pleasant. I don't think any of y'all should have like, oh, look at this thing. Glory be to God. <laughs> Tell you a funny story. Uh, when Maria um, had Sandra, uh, her initial plan was to do it natural without uh, an epidural. I said that was her original plan. <laughs> now, you know you got a certain window. Come on, all you medical professionals. There's a certain window that you got that you, that you have to get that epidural or it's too late. And Marrera came right up to the deadline of having to get that epidural, and she said, give me that shot. <laughs> because the pain of that labor, although you love that baby that's going to come out, but it's not pleasant while you push it. <laughs> I can remember it just like it was yesterday. I'm telling push, baby, push. She looked at me like. <laughs> but he says, Riff. And grown like a woman in labor, you people of Jerusalem, for now you must leave this city to live in the open country. You will soon be sent in exile to distant Babylon, but the Lord will rescue you there. He will redeem you from the grip of your enemies. Now, check this out, guys. If you go back to the book of Daniel, the Bible said God delivered King Jehoiakim of Judah into the hands of the Babylonians. Which tells me that God is protecting his plan for, amen, mankind. God is protecting his plan to, to bring the seed through the Jewish nation to be born in a manger in Bethlehem. And he'll go to great measures to protect the seed. Now, guys, we, we got to realize something, that God loves us, but he loves us enough to discipline us. Again, the prophet Habakkuk 
couldn't understand how Jehovah could use the godless Babylonians to chasten his own people. As a matter of fact, let's go to Habakkuk, another book that you probably haven't been to lately. Habakkuk chapter number one. Let's go to Habakkuk chapter number one, verse number one. And let's look at what was happening here as the prophet of God is pondering. He says, this is the message that the prophet Habakkuk uh, received in a vision. Watch this. Here's the message. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Next verse says, but must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery wherever I look? I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. How many of y'all know that we're in a day and age where we're surrounded by folks who love to argue and fight? This nation is in turmoil and everybody mad. Everybody's upset. And, 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 but, but look at this climate here. He says, must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. Watch what it says in the next verse. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. Sound like America today, baby. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Guys, let me tell you something. A democracy doesn't work absent morality. Democracy doesn't work when you don't have people who have a moral compass to say, we got to call stuff right and we got to call stuff wrong. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost up in this place today. And see, we got to get back to the point where we as the church are not swayed by societal norms and we got to stick with the word of God and to say that God's word gives me a blueprint for what's right and what's wrong. Let's hear what people say when you start talking about what's right and what's wrong, but don't judge me. As a matter of fact, I told you before and I said it all the time and we see it in Corinthians. In actuality, guys, there, there is some, some truth in that statement when people say that as for, for a non-believer. Because we that are in the church, Paul said it's not my job to judge those out there. But he says very much is your job to judge those in the church who are sinning. And, we, and, and as a church, we have to decide, what is, what, what, what is sin? Sin is whatever the Bible says is unrighteousness. Amen? So we, got, we, we have to deal with, we have to, we have to call things as they are in the spirit of love, speak the truth in love. Okay? The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Keep reading, guys. It says, well, the Lord replied, look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day. Something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. How many of y'all ever felt that way about God? Somebody tell you what God does, you're like, I can't see it. I, can, I just can't see it. I just can't see it, Pastor. Sometimes you can't see what the Lord is doing, but learn how to trust him. The old you say, even when I can't trace him, I'm still going to trust him. Even when I can't see what he's doing, I'm going to trust what he's doing. Look at what he says in the next verse. He says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. Here's the prophetic word now, okay? I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. Text says this next verse. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Next verse says what? Their horses are swifter than cheetahs. Man, that's fast, isn't it? And fisher than wolves at dusk. Their, their charioteers charge from far away like eagles. They swoop down to destroy their, devour their prey. Next verse. On, on they come, all bent on violence. They, their hearts advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. Next verse says what? They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. Look at the next verse. They sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. They trust in their own strength. But God is using them. He's using this heathen nation to deal with his people. Next verse. It says, oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. Oh, Lord, I rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many 
sins. I got to stop right there because, again, this is the prophecy concerning God's dealing with his people. Let's go back to the book of Daniel right quick. All right. Now, I want you to make just, just a mental note of this. I don't like this on your notes, but just make a mental note of this. God would rather have his people living in captivity in a pagan land than living like pagans in the holy land and disgracing his name. I got to repeat it. That sounded good to me. God would rather have his people living in captivity in a pagan land than living like pagans in the holy land and disgracing his name. So he has to deal with them. Now, as we take, take this inside look at the life of Daniel, let's, let's know some, some key facts about him before we get into the, the meat of our text today. We're in Daniel chapter number one. Uh, first of all, Daniel was, himself was born into a royal family. You see that in the third verse and the sixth verse of this first chapter. He was born into a royal family. He was royalty. But how many of y'all know that whenever, during this period of time in history, whenever a conquering nation came in and, and won victory and war over another nation, they would go and get the best of the best. Get, get, back, to, get back to Daniel 1. Watch what they say here. Watch what the, the Bible says in Daniel chapter number 1. And, and let's start, start reading again at, at verse number 1. Daniel chapter 1. And we'll start reading at verse number one again, okay? Are y'all still tracking with me today? Are we the real deal? Daniel was. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This was not by happenstance. It had already been prophetically uh, 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 put out there by God's prophet. So now we see it coming to pass. The Lord gave him victory. The Lord gave him victory. Who gave him victory? The Lord gave him victory over Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Verse 3 and 4 says this, Then the king ordered Aspenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. And verse 4 says this, select only what strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. So Daniel was born into a royal family. He was apparently physically attractive. Ladies, y'all, Daniel would have been the kind of man you're like, ooh, I don't mind marrying him. The text, what, what does your Bible say? How many of y'all ladies who are single want a strong, healthy, good-looking, saved man? Can I get any singulator, almost singulator, singulators? <laughs> you want a strong, healthy, good-looking, saved man. Look at Nathan. He got no Lord. Now, it, it, it amazes me sometimes when I'm doing counseling how, how, how some, you know, and again, I... I, I I know most of the time when people come to me, they already have their mind made up that they're going to get married. And we're just kind of going through the process most of the time. But I've had, I've had occasions, guys, where I've walked through the process of premarital counseling with people who, 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 who I think you, sh- you should do it this way. Let's go through premarital counseling first before you call everybody, your family in California and, and, your, and your cousins in Dallas, Texas, and tell them, we're getting married in June. And hadn't went through premarital counseling yet. Uh, I've walked through a couple with a couple before, and at the end of that process, they said we ain't ready. Now, but see, because they did it that way, we're not sitting here. Everybody's embarrassed because people have bought dresses and booked hotel, uh, uh, booked, booked flights, and all this other stuff, and 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 did all this stuff. And now you're too embarrassed to say this ain't who I thought it was. And so you, it's, you, you all this money's been put out and. And now you, 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 you're embar- too embarrassed to say, now is not the time. But, but, uh, uh, but I will tell you, uh, th- when, we, when we learn, I'm talking about this, whenever you decide to go get married, please, please, do premarital counseling before you announce it to everybody. That, that would be the proper way to go, okay? Because most of the time people already have their mind made up, and it don't matter what I say, they're going to get married. But 
He said, strong, healthy, good-looking young men. He said, make, them, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. This was customary for, 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 for nations that conquered other nations. To the victor goes the spoils. They get the best cows, the best horses, the best servants, the best women, the best young men, and they bring them back to, the, to, their, to their nation and bring them into servitude. And that's what's happened to him. So Daniel was good looking, healthy, strong, physically attractive. His name means God is my judge. And he was uncompromising in his faithfulness to God. His, 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 his contemporaries acknowledged both his righteousness and his wisdom. His, when somebody's your contemporary, that means somebody who's your core on the same level that you are. Watch what the text says. If you will, let's go to Ezekiel the 14th chapter, Ezekiel, another prophet of God, is talking about Daniel. Ezekiel, the 14th chapter, verse number 12. Ezekiel 14, verse number 12. When your contemporaries acknowledge your righteousness and your wisdom, that's a good thing, rather than you acknowledge it. It's kind of like in basketball, or, or say for instance in basketball, uh, you bragging about how good you are, how good you were in playing ball, but what are your contemporaries saying about you? See, when I, when, I, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I listen to Magic and Bird, Magic and Bird compliment each other. Do y'all know who Magic and Bird is? Magic and Bird respected each other so much so they were so respected that all you, all, you don't even have to call their last name. All you got to do is say Magic and Bird. How many of y'all know who Magic and Bird is? All right, you know, right? Because they, they listen, guys, those two players arguably saved the NBA. Do y'all recall that before Magic and Bird, the NBA Finals would not even be shown live, shown live on TV. It was tape delayed after, and they showed it after the 10 o'clock news because it was so unpopular nobody wasn't watching it until Magic and Bird came along. Those two guys, if you, if you ever study and, and listen to them, any, any interviews they do nowadays, they were fierce competitors, but they respected one another. They respected each other's game. So my question to you is, who's talking about you? What contemporary is talking about you? I don't want to hear what you got to say. The Bible says, let another man's lip praise you and not your own. Anytime, you, Kenny Wayne, when you run, to, run into old players we played against in high school, if, if they're always bragging about how good they were and ain't nobody else saying how good they were, watch out, there's a dead cat on the line somewhere. You don't have to say anything. Those who observing your lifestyle will talk for you. And look at what happens here in Ezekiel. Are y'all with me? The 14th chapter, verse number 12. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, suppose the people of a country were to sin against me and I lifted up my fist to crush them, cutting off their food supply and sending a famine to destroy both people and animals. Next verse says what? Even if, watch this, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, their righteousness would save no one but themselves, says the sovereign Lord. Look at that. If Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, their righteousness would save no one but themselves, says the sovereign Lord. Verse 15, let's go guys. It says this. Or suppose I were to send wild animals to invade the country, kill the people, and make the land too desolate and dangerous to pass through. Next verse says, well, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, even if those three men were there, they wouldn't be able to save their own sons or daughters. They alone would be saved because they're righteous, but the land would be made desolate. 17. Or suppose I were to bring war against the land and send enemy armies to destroy both people and animals. Text says in verse 18, as surely as I live, says the Lord, sovereign Lord, even if, the, if, 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 the, if those three men were there, they wouldn't be able to save their own sons or daughters. They alone, everybody say they alone, would be saved. 19 and 20 says, or suppose I were to pour out my fury by sending an epidemic into the land. There is history for God sending epidemics and pandemics. Text says this, I'm not saying that God sent the COVID virus, but I I promise you he's using it to correct his church. And I'm not, I'm, I, I wouldn't say that he didn't send it because he's done it before and he'll do it again. 
whenever a nation turns their back on God, God will go to great lengths to get us back to where we need to be. I suppose I were to pour out my fury by sending an epidemic into the land and the disease killed people and animals alike. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, they wouldn't be able to save their own sons and daughters. They alone, everybody say they alone, would be saved by what? Their righteousness. So Daniel was, was even his contemporary Ezekiel, as he's given the prophecy from God, is talking about Daniel's righteousness and what kind of man he was. Daniel was taken captive as a youth to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar, and he was likely around 15 to 16 years of age when this happened. And that tells me something. Teenagers. Oh, teenagers. Do we have any teenagers in the house? Any young adults in the house? Let me tell you something. You don't have to wait till you're old to serve the Lord. You can be an evangelist at 16 years of age. You can be a, a person who's helping turn your school around, uh, 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 Devin, wh- while you are 12. Or, yeah, okay, I'm not right about it. While you're 12, Devin, you can go to that school and be a light at that bitten middle school, right? All right? <laughs> All right. Holy Ghost, help me here. So you don't have to wait till you're old. See, we got to teach our children to follow God while they are young. And that means that bring them to, 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 to the discipleship training component as we try to build this thing and build a, a, a body of faith here that's moving forward in God. He was 15 or 16, but all this stuff was being said about Daniel. So I, I believe our teenagers can be a living witness before they get to be 75 years of age. He was assigned to be a government official in charge of assisting with the importation of Jews to Babylon. So that's, that's a little bit about Daniel's background. So let's begin to unpack some things here. And I guess I got a lot of scripture to cover. So let's go to the word of God and the word of God speak. Okay. See, expository preaching means let the word of God speak. All right. I want the word of God to speak to us. And, and we're going to go through this book. And, and, and I only got four today. I hope I can complete these four. But I got a lot of scripture, but I'm not promising anything. Did y'all hear me? I'm not promising anything. But we're going to start. So some key application concepts learned from Daniel, his life. Amen. Number one, recognize and respond affirmatively to God's work of discipline in your life. We've got to recognize and respond in the affirmative. See, some Christian, when they're going through God's disciplinary measures, they get bitter and angry and turn away from God rather than saying, God, I want, I want to examine my life. I want to see what you're trying to teach me through this process. No discipline at the time that you're going through it seems pleasant at that season. Look, look back with me again. Verses 1 and 2 of this, of this chapter. Just wonder, It says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. I don't want you to miss this. Verse 2. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple. And, and on, on we go on, we see that. So the Lord was in this process. Everything that happens to us, it's not necessarily... The Lord's doing. It is, and it falls under his sovereignty because he is sovereign. He knows everything that's going on, but he doesn't send everything. Are y'all with me? What we're dealing with now is, is something that God sent. And he sends it because of Judah's rebellion and disobedience. Are y'all tracking with me today? Because of their rebellion and disobedience. Make note of this. One thing we learn from scripture is that a failure to repent of sin always brings God's discipline in the life of believers. Can we, can we read that together out loud on purpose? Let's, let's read. It says what? One thing 
we learn from Scripture is that a failure to repent of sin always brings God's discipline in the life of believers. Well, if you can sin without any consequences, you better check whether or not you belong to God. If you can go out and cheat on your wife, you can go out and get drunk as a skunk. Have y'all heard that term before, drunker than a skunk? How do y'all know a skunk gets drunk? I don't know. <laughs> but they say, they say drunker than a skunk. Or if, 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 you're, if you're abusive, if you're a, a foul person, and you can do that, and, and you don't experience any consequences, you, 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 you may be just a church member and not a child of God. Because when you belong to God, he's going to discipline you. God disciplined David. Let's go to Psalms 32. Verse 3 through 5. He disciplined David, didn't he? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Go to Psalms 32, verse number 3 through 5. Text says this. When I refuse, this is the psalmist David. When I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groan all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Next verse. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. And watch this, guys. And stop trying to hide my guilt. That's the problem with a lot of Christians is, uh, uh, you know, we, we won't admit where we are. And that's the problem, to be honest, guys, even with with the unity in the body and, and, and the sin of racism and that, that's, that's divided even the church, if you won't admit that something is there, you can't get delivered from what is there. That sounded good to me. I think I'll say it one more time. If I can. If you won't admit that something is there, you can't get delivered from what is there. He says, I confess all my sins to you and stop trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. Thank God for forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I thank God that his blood washes away my sin. I thank God that I'm an imperfect human being. And guys, I have messed up just like you have since you've been born again. But thank God that he doesn't throw us away. Thank God. That he still loves on us and lovingly brings discipline in our life. And I'll say this, as a parent, parents, listen to me parents. Parents, you got to make sure that you lovingly discipline your children. Don't let your children be the baddest somebody in school. Well, he's just so lovely. He's a terror. (laughs) You got to discipline the if the Lord loves us, he disciplines us, then as a father, as a mother, we got to discipline our children. And some kids, you can take things away from them and they're okay. Other kids, you got you to go a little deeper. I'm going to put him in timeout. Get in that timeout. Take your, take your iPad and go to timeout. What are you talking about? Three hours, three hours later. Okay, you learned your lesson? Yes, mama. Come on. I, I think I can show you in scripture that God's discipline on his people and what God says is foolishness is bound in the heart of a child with the rod of correction would drive it forth from him. See, some people don't want to say that because they say that's physical abuse. And there is abuse. God, I'm not talking about child abuse. Hear me carefully. And I'm not giving anybody a license to abuse their child. But let me tell you something. The rod of correction is not abuse. And if someone does abuse a child, they deserve to go to jail. But but the rod of correction is not abuse when when, when properly applied. Here's what I do know. I mean, I know a whole lot of stuff. I ain't the smartest guy in the world. I'm certainly not the dumbest guy in the world. And I, 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 I got the, the evidence to prove it. Okay? All right. But anyhow, check my transcript. Okay? All right. 
But here's what I do know. Kenny, do you remember this? We were playing ball at Ben High School. And if a player got out of line and did something crazy at school, when you came to the field house for practice and the coach had discovered that you had disrespected a teacher in school, they had a paddle that had some holes in it to make it aerodynamically efficient. To meet your backside. And when that happened, it may have been four or five licks. Put your hand on the desk. Take those four or five licks. And something changed from that point forward in how you dealt with those teachers. All I'm saying is, we're not warped because we got the rod of correction applied appropriately. And we're not mentally messed up. Now, if you need me to go through the scripture, I can go through the scripture. And don't talk about those are draconian measures. Well, I'm just looking at what God is doing to his own people to save the seed. All right. I feel somebody. I'm just saying, be biblical. Use wisdom. Teach your children. Don't just waylay them. On, them. Make sure they know what they did was wrong. And, 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 and correct them. Uh, so sometimes people do stuff and they don't know that it's wrong. It was some child. Was dealing, it may be my own children. I don't know, I forget who it was. It was Junior. Yeah, it was Junior. He, he had said something and it was clear to me that he didn't know that what he said was wrong because he just repeated right. <laughs> he cussed. He used a cuss word. He didn't know that that was wrong because he said it again. This is when he was real small. So it would have been unfair for me to go and whip him because he said that and he didn't know that what he said was wrong. But now once I teach him, son, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a foul word. Uh, we don't say that and I don't want to hear you repeat that again. Okay? So uh, I don't recall that he said it again. Not in my presence anyhow. <laughs> But you got to teach your children the difference between right and wrong. Don't leave them to themselves. We have a moral obligation and responsibility as parents to discipline our children. Because that's what God does to us. Text says, finally, I confess all my sins to you. Stop trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Praise the Lord. Look at the 51st number of Psalms. Y'all know, 51st number Psalm, verse number one. Come on. Y'all know this. David, 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 even though he was described as a man after God's own heart, did some things that were not godly. And if I were to check your record and you check my record since you've been saved, I promise you uh, there's some stuff on your record and on my record that, is, that doesn't line up with God's word. There's some stuff on your record and my record we don't want anybody to know about. Can I come to this side over here? There's some stuff y'all got. Y'all don't want me to know about. <laughs> Brother Sass, sure, don't. There's some stuff on your record you got. You don't want me to know. I got, there's stuff on my record that, that God has forgiven me for. I don't want you to know about. You got stuff on your record <laughs> that you thank God that, okay, he forgave me and he covered me. And y'all do too. And it's an excuse to sin, but I thank God for the blood that washes away my sins. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So I thank God for that. But if we are not repentant, if we are not uh, um, if we're not taking God seriously, then God will come in and deal with us as his children. And guys, let me say this too. Some, for some of y'all who, who are embarrassed to say what the Lord has delivered you from, God, when, when you go through a thing 
and God delivers you. And some of y'all have done this, and, I, and I've even called some of y'all and commended you for telling your story because somebody was dealing with the same thing you were dealing with, and, and you told your story to them to encourage them that you can get through this. Okay? So don't, don't we're not going to be a church who's, who's going to condemn somebody to hell for something that God has forgave them for. And when God says, tell your story, tell your story. But I'm, I'm, what are people going to think? Well, people going to think whatever they want to think. I can promise you, you can do whatever. You can be the best person in the world and people will think whatever they want to think about you. If somebody listens to my message and they catch a glimpse of it, they're going to think something about me. When I just say something about the rod of correction, they're like, oh, he's promoting child abuse. No, I'm not. Okay, are y'all still with me? Are we still moving here? We're still we're on number one, guys. I, I only put four here on purpose. But let's, let's, let's go. Have mercy on me, oh God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Verse two, let's read together. It says, well, wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Glory be to God. Verse three, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Sin ought to bother you. Even if you did it, it ought to bother you. The moment you start sinning and it doesn't bother you. Check your heart. Here's, here's, the, here's the dichotomy of that thing. See, sin is pleasure before a season. Can I, can I talk to y'all real quick? Have any of y'all ever been drawn to a sin and, and, and it pulled you and, and the sin was pleasurable while you were sinning and then the moment that you stopped, guilt came. I, I'm trying to break some stuff down. In other words, the, the, the draw of that sin, it was pleasurable for that season, but if you saved, come on, and you sin, even though the pleasure of it drew you to it, and you were telling yourself, I ain't gonna do it no more, I ain't gonna do it no more, I ain't gonna do it no more. Oh, y'all ain't never said that, okay. This sounds like, <laughs> I'm not gonna do it anymore. God, I promise you, just get me out of this, deliver me. Then, then the draw comes again. And the moment you sin, guilt just comes all over you. Thank God for the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Because if there is no conviction, if you can sin without conviction, I'm afraid you may not even be saved. David here. Y'all know the story. Y'all know David's story. At a time when kings should have been out waging war, David was back home in the palace. He wasn't he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Come on, Bible readers. And here he is tooling around on the rooftop of the palace. And he looks over there and sees one of the finest women. That was in the kingdom at that time. Because, you know, kings got the best of the best. And he looked out there. It wasn't the fact that he saw the woman. It was the fact that he saw the woman and then he went a step further. Brothers, y'all look at me. Brothers. Oh, brothers. Can I start with the brothers first? And then I'm going to come to the sisters next. Because brothers is messing with somebody. <laughs> brothers, you may see a beautiful woman and acknowledge her beauty. But don't let that look turn into a lustful. Look upon her with lust. Because then when you become ensnared, lust, when it's conceived, bring it forth sin. So David saw Bathsheba bathing. Bathing. And he sent for her. Now you got to understand the dynamics of this thing. When the king sent for you, 
It wasn't, well, I ain't going. That, you, you went in this culture. So y'all know the story, how he laid, he had sex with her, ended up impregnant, impregnating her and tried to hide the pregnancy by bringing the husband home from the battlefield and trying to get him to sleep with her. Now, come on now, this is going through, this is going through David's mind, the man who, he's trying to cover his sin, trying to hide it. Wanted, was it Uriah? He wanted Uriah to go, hey, man, come off the battlefield, man, yo, just go spend some time with your wife. And you know, when, when men came home from war, you know what happens when men have been away baby boom generation you know, you, know, you know why that was a baby boom because men had been at war in World War II and when they came back home babies started booming that's why they call it baby boom so he, he, he tells Uriah go but Uriah was such a noble man that he says my men are out there fighting on the front, and I can't go home and have pleasure with my wife when my men are out there battling. My God, what a what a what a man of courage! What a man of of of, of awesome conviction. Because I'm gonna be honest with y'all. Can I be honest with y'all? Can I be honest with my church family? If I had been away at battle for six eight months. And I came home from the battlefield and had a chance to go spend about a couple of weeks with Mararia, Nikitris, Kirk Adams. I just don't know if I would have had the stamina to say, well, nah, it's all right. I just don't know. I would have liked to, Scott, I would have liked to thought that I would, but I'm, I'm afraid I would have been like, okay, King, thank you so much. Lord, look at what David says. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Have you ever did something that has haunted you? Day and night. Look at what he says. Next verse. Come on, let's go. Against you and you alone have I sinned. David's talking to God. He says, against you and you alone, I said, I have done what is evil in your sight. You will prove, you will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. David said, I'm guilty. And sometimes, guys, some of the reason why some of us aren't being delivered is because we hadn't admitted that we're guilty. Some of y'all will go to your grave with that lie. You're going to argue it. You're going to argue it till you go to your grave. They ain't seen me. I ain't admit nothing. Not realizing that God sits high and he looks low. God sees you and you hadn't admitted it and hadn't repented of it. Then, then where's forgiveness going to come from? Next verse. Let's come on. It says, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Next verse says what? Let's go. But you desire honesty. What does God desire? You desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify my sins and I will be clean. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a raw loyal spirit or renew a right spirit within me. Next verse, David says what? Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. That's just David, guys. God disciplined David. And, and I don't have time to go into it, but there's a lot of calamity that took place in David's family as a result of his sin. And sometimes that's, that's the thing that we don't even realize. We think we only hurt. Listen, Pastor, you ain't hurting nobody. But your family is suffering because of your gambling habit. Had to sell, had to get out of the house. They didn't sell it, they foreclosed on it. Because you gambling, having fun. So you say, but it's affecting your children. 
you, you, you're addicted to drugs, narcotics, whatever, alcohol. And because you're an alcoholic, it's affecting your children. You got divorce. And, and, and divorce happens, I know, because of sin in, in the earth realm. But, but because, because, because of that divorce, it, it impacted our children at a degree that probably none of us would ever even understand. Y'all with me? So God disciplined David. God disciplines us when we go astray. That's what Hebrews 12 says. And guys, can we go there right quick? Hebrews 12, verse 1. Come on, let's walk. Hebrews 12, verse 1. God disciplines us when we go astray. Text says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded with such a huge crowd of witnesses to, to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially, watch this, the sin that so easily trips us up. How many of y'all got something in your life that just keeps tripping you up? He says, lay, lay aside every weight. A weight is something that's not necessarily a sin, but it slows you down from doing God's will in your life, for doing God's work, for being obedient to God. So it's a weight. Sometimes people can be weights in your life. Sometimes uh, habits or, 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 or hobbies that you have can be a weight. It's not, it's not that it's sin, but it can slow you down from pursuing your God. But it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Verse number two says what? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding his shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. The Bible says it right here is that Jesus Christ was able to endure the crucifixion. He was able to endure his separation from the Father because he was looking past the cross to the time when we could come to the God, the Father, because of what he did for us on the cross. See, when you look beyond just right now and look to what God is doing, you can go through some things, you can suffer through some things, you can deny yourself some things because right now, okay, I want that dress, I want those shoes, I want that vacation, but I need to see myself debt-free. And so since I'm trying to work my debt-free plan, we made an agreement that we're not going to spend a whole lot of money outside our normal expenses until we get all this debt paid off. Now, I can look and see debt-free, amen, what, 10, years, 10 months down the road, and now that means I can suffer through not getting my favorite thing that I want to get because I can see where I'm going to be 10 months from now. Watch what it says. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Keep reading. Come on, guys. It says, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Text says this. After all, you have not, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Nobody here has died because of their faith. All right, and, 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 have you, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Don't give up when he corrects you. Next verse says what? Watch this. For the Lord discipline those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Come on, let's go. Verse seven says what? As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? I, I say as a spoiled child. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Next verse says what? Come on. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? 10 and 11. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his what? Holiness. Verse 11. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, everybody say after. Say after a while. Come on, say, say, say after a while. Oh, y'all got to say, say after a while. There you go. Boy, y'all sound like some hoopers out there. 
But after a while, afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. It's not pleasurable. God knows it's not pleasurable when God is disciplined me. And, 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 and if you belong to him, he will discipline you. But afterwards, peaceful harvest of right living. And lastly, look at 1 Corinthians 11 chapter Verse 23, let's examine ourselves. See, a lot of the discipline that we receive from the Lord could be avoided if we were to examine ourselves. Now, guys, let me say something. There's a difference between discipline that comes from the Lord and an attack of the enemy. Are y'all with me? And we got to be able to differentiate between the Lord's discipline and an attack of the enemy. See, when you're living for God and living for Jesus, the enemy will attack. If you're being effective, and reaching people, the enemy will try to disrupt that effectiveness. He'll attack you. But I'm talking about the Lord's discipline. For, for us, when we go astray, the reality is, guys, you don't have to be doing anything wrong for an attack to take place in your life. Are y'all with me? So every time you're going through something, don't think, well, okay, I must have did something wrong. No, not necessarily. Sometimes it's just an attack of the enemy. Sometimes it's just life. We had to replace a refrigerator not long ago in the house. Why would I go around? We've been in the house almost, well, we've been there almost 20 years. Okay? Now, why would I go around saying, the devil is a liar. I'm under demonic attack. My refrigerator broke down. No, they only last for a so long, a long, certain period of time. Maria and I discovered this is as long as we stayed in any one house. Uh, and we, we noticed that when you stay in a house for a prolonged period of time, you have to begin to repair stuff, change stuff, fix that screen door that you got pinned together with a safety pin. Some stuff is just life. Look at what he says here. First, and I'm finished. First Corinthians 11, 23. Watch what the text says. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, this is Paul talking. Oh, this is Jesus talking, but Paul is referring here. Right. Watch this. <laughs> For I pass on you what I received from the Lord himself. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth, saying on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. Next verse says what? Let's go. And gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do do this to remember me. Next verse says what? In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people and agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Text says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Next verse says this. So anyone who eats the bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Next verse. That is why, that is why, that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Before you partake of the Lord's Supper, Examine your heart. Look at what he says here. Next verse. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Next verse. That is why many of you are weak and sick. And some have even died. I didn't make this up. This is Paul talking. Talking about the climate in Corinth, the Corinthian church, which we know had its issues. It was a baby church. I said baby church. There were baby, a bunch of baby Christians there. But he's talking about the lack of, of, of discerning the Lord's body, lack of, 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 of dealing with what's in their hearts so they can purify their hearts before partaking of a very sacred oath, a sacred uh, ordinance, which is the Lord's Supper. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Some stuff, we're receiving God's judgment because we won't deal with it. 
And God loves us enough to say, if you won't deal with it, I'm going to deal with it. Many of us could save ourselves. All of us could save ourselves from God's judgment if we would look at our life and say, you know what? That's not right. That attitude that I portrayed was not right. God, forgive me. And let me go apologize to that person for, for coming at them with that type of attitude. If we, would, if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God for the thing that we're doing that's wrong. Okay? All right. So I got to number one. And don't you be talking about me when you go home either. Recognize and respond affirmatively to God's work of discipline in your life. I don't know about you, but I've faced God's discipline in my life before. And I pray that you have too, because that indicates that you belong to him. And he's trying to perfect you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you.